announcement I just want to pronounce to you guys. Last Sunday we had our annual congregation meeting and the budget for 2022 passed. The leaders were affirmed as well, so that's really good news. You guys could applause, which is good. 2022 is going to be a better year than 2021. Every year is a better year because God is so faithful. And I want to thank you guys for all that you do uh, here in the church family to keep on sharing God's word, furthering his kingdom in our community and beyond. And 2022 is going to do more, I believe, in that. So I'm super excited and I hope you guys are as well. You know, on April 13th, 1970, the space shuttle Apollo was on its way to its third mission to the moon. But on its way up there, it encountered a major situation. There was an exposed wire in the oxygen compartment which caused the flame, which caused an explosion. Right away, the astronauts started to figure out what they could do, but Captain Lowell, right away as well, contacted NASA back home and uttered the famous words that I believe we all know. Houston, we have a problem. So the people back home started to figure out what they could do to bring the astronauts back home safely, and they figured out that there's only one thing one solution that would bring down the astronauts safely. One thing that would save the astronauts. And I think we know the stories. The one thing worked. And they came home safely. I mention this because church, mankind has a problem. And that problem is sin. And with sin, two things really occur. The first thing is that all mankind, because of sin, is spiritually dead. The other thing that occurs because of sin is the fact that God's wrath, the punishment for our sin, is upon mankind. We have a problem. You don't believe me? Just read Romans. The first three chapters of Romans, Paul clearly identifies the problem of mankind, which is sin. As a matter of fact, in just chapter 1, we read that the wrath of God is on all unrighteous, unrighteous and ungodly men. He goes on and says that no one is righteous, no, not one. And then further on, he says, we all have sinned, problem and have fallen short of the glory of God. Church, and for centuries, religious leaders have tried to figure out what is going on. How can we save ourselves? What can we do? Many religious leaders have said, you know, I have the solution for salvation. As a matter of fact, this chubby leader by the name of Buddha claimed this. No one saves us but ourselves. No one can and no one may. We ourselves must walk the path. What is Buddha's solution? You're on your own. You can do it. Save yourself. 
Muhammad claims that salvation is avoiding these three things. This is what Muhammad says. Anyone whose soul leaves his body and he is free of three things. Here they are. Don't take notes. Will enter Jannah, which is their heaven. Here they are. Arrogance, stealing from the spoils of war, and death. So according to this religious leader, as long as anyone gets rid of these three things, you're saved. See, these religious leaders claim to have a solution, but there's only one man that claims that he is the solution. And that's Jesus. And that's why the apostle John in John 14, 6 says this, I am the way, Jesus says, I am the truth and the life. No one, no one, he says, comes to the Father except through me. See, church, solution is not found or salvation is not found in a person. It's not found in Muhammad or Buddha, Confucius, the Pope, you name it, in a pastor. Church, salvation is not found in an institution or an organization or a movement. Salvation is only found in one person, and that is a person of Jesus Christ, period. And that's why we read in Acts when the apostle Peter gets up and says his famous sermon, he says this, Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else, no one, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What is that name? Jesus. Today we continue our series on the solas, the non-negotiables. And if you recall, really the non-negotiables were birthed during the Reformation. Because the question behind the Reformation is just a question that people for centuries have had. And that question is, how does a sinful individual be right with a holy and perfect God? And the answer to that question are the five solas. Scripture alone. Scripture alone is the authority and truth for salvation. Grace alone. You and I, no one can do or has done anything to save themselves. It's all on God's grace. Through faith alone, which we talked about last week. In Christ alone, which we're going to cover today. And because of all that, it's glory to God alone, which we'll see next week. The five solas. And today, I want us to focus, like I mentioned, on Christ alone. But I want to answer the question, why? Why Jesus claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. Why? Really, I want to answer the question, why Christ plus nothing equals salvation. Why Christ alone and nothing else gives you salvation? And for the remainder of our time together, we're going to answer that question by looking at two things. Two things of Jesus Christ. Who he is and what he has done. Who he is and what he has done. But before I get into answering this question, I want to just give us a little background again on the Reformation as it was taking place. 
Now we know of the Reformation mostly by this one man, Martin Luther, but there was other men involved in this. And one man that I think falls behind in the Reformation story is this man by the name of Ulrich Swingley, a Swiss man. And he too protested against the Catholic Church. As a matter of fact, he was a Catholic priest. And what he started protesting mostly was the fact that he claimed the Catholic Church to be adulterers. He said, why are we worshiping other gods? Why when I step into any Catholic church, are there statues everywhere? Why are people praying to these statues? Why are people depending on these saints for them to be interceding with God? And he claims that is idolatry. And his proclamation what is only Christ. As a matter of fact, this is what Swingley, Swingley said. Christ is the only way to salvation for all who ever were are and shall be. What was Swingley really proclaiming? Christ alone, solo Christus. That's what he was saying. That's what he was protesting. No other way but Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at why this proclamation is true. Let's start with, like I mentioned, his person, who he is. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, is very clear who Jesus is. In the beginning, those are the same words you find in Genesis when Moses is writing about creation. In the beginning was that word. Now that word in Greek is pronounced logos. And, and it means to, to speak. It means it's a message. So John's saying, in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with. With is pronounced prose, which suggests to be in a company with, to be in relationship with. This is really important. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God, what, what is John proclaiming here? Three things. The Word is eternal, the Word is in relationship with God, and the Word is God. He goes on in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, God with us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The eternal logos, the eternal word who is God came to earth as man. But see, church, this is really important. He did not merely appear as man. He became man, the God-man, the God of heaven, stepped down and took on flesh. This is how Paul writes about it in Philippians 2, verse 5 through 9. Have this in mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, that word form means essence, who was in the form of God, did not count, count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Church, when I read this, it blows my mind. The creator of the universe, God, humbling himself 
and taking on human form, being fully God and fully human. Paul also writes in Colossians 2.9, he says this, For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Deity took on humanity. That's the person of Jesus Christ. Fully man, yet being fully God. And we see this in the Gospels, how, how, how we see that Jesus is fully human, just like you and me. He worked, he cried, he sweat, he slept. Boy, did he eat. He ate a lot. But you know what else? He also, like you and I, felt. But one thing that he didn't do, that you and I do every day, is that Jesus Christ never, ever sinned. As a matter of fact, we read that in 1 Peter 2.22, he says this, he, talking about Jesus, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. The author of Hebrews puts it this way in 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted. Did you catch that? Has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Never once did he sin in his mind or his mouth or his action. Never. Again, fully man and fully a God. And Jesus proclaimed to be God. We see that. We read about that. Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am. John 8, 58. He says, I and the Father are one. John 10, 30. He spoke with authority of God and people were freaking out. We see that in Matthew 7, 29. He calmed the storms. He healed the sick. He rose the dead to life. And when he presented himself in front of the apostles... And they didn't believe, and Thomas didn't believe. And once he touched his hands and his side, Thomas proclaims the truth. And he says this, my Lord, my God. That is the truth. Fully man, fully God. That's who Jesus is. That is his person. And Jesus came as man to this sinful world on a mission. On work. What was that? Let's take a look at his work. What he has done. And I want to just break these uh, things or many things. But when it comes to our salvation, there's five categories really that we can break down what he accomplished, what Jesus Christ accomplished. The first thing I want us to look at is the accomplishment of substitution. What does that mean? That he died in the place of sinners. He died in your place. He died in my place. Substitution. First Peter, in 1 Peter 2.24 says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our place, church. You and I should have been on the cross and Jesus said to God, No, I am stepping in. I am going to be that perfect substitute for the people I came down to save. Jesus is our substitution, substitution took 
our place. He also accomplished the work of redemption. Redemption. What does that mean? He paid our ransom. He purchased us. He paid for our sin debt. A debt that no one could ever pay for. We belong to him. Mark 10.45 says this. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We've been bought, church. We've been ransomed. We've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 6.20. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. His payment at the cross, his sacrifice, his redemption has set us free. We're free from sin. We're no longer enslaved to sin. And John 8.36 says this, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus secured our freedom. He has ran ransomed us. He has redeemed us. That's his accomplishment. He also accomplished the work of propitiation, which is a fancy, fancy word. And what does it mean? It means that his sacrifice, his work satisfied God's righteousness, his wrath. And John writes about that in 1 John 2, 2, he says this, He is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He later writes in chapter 4, verse 10, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. The sacrifice of Christ was sufficient, period. It was enough. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews 9.12 puts it this way. He, talking about Jesus, entered once and for all into the holy of places, not by means of blood of goats, the way the Old Testament, the old way of sacrificing in the temple used to be, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. It was enough to please God's wrath, to satisfy his righteousness. Through his sacrifice, sinners like you and I are now justified. His work accomplished substitution. It accomplished redemption. It accomplished propitiation. It also accomplished forgiveness. It accomplished forgiveness. Now this, this act is the only act. His sacrifice at the cross is the only act that forgives people's sins, not penance, not doing all these holy things, not coming to church every single day of the week, not reading your Bible 24-7, not whipping yourself in the back, not crawling on your knees. No. It's a sacrifice that Jesus did that forgives sin, nothing else. And Paul says this in Colossians 2.13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your life, of your flesh, I'm sorry, God made alive together with him. How? Having, having forgiven us all our trespasses, past, present, and future. Only his perfect sacrifice can remove the guilt of our sin, the forgiveness of our sin. Only he can reconcile us to God, Jesus Christ. 
Which leads me to my last and final work, is that he is our mediator. Jesus Christ is our mediator. And Paul writes to Timothy about this. He says this in 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God and there is how many mediators? One mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Church, what does a mediator do? A mediator is one who comes between two opposing parties that are in a disagreement and mediates, reconciles them. Jesus is our mediator between a holy and perfect God and a sinful person. He mediates no one else, nothing else. He is the only one that we need to or can come to for that. Jesus Christ. So maybe you're sitting here saying, man, that was fast. Yeah, I covered a lot. And you're probably saying, well, that was good. Okay, got it. Jesus being fully God, fully man, all the things he did. I even understood this fancy word, propitiation, right? But, but pastor, how do we know? How do we know that Jesus was who he says he was, fully God, fully man? And how do we know that his work really was accomplished? There's about 4,500 religions in the world today. 4,500 religious leaders, church. But there's only one empty tomb. One. So to answer that question, look at the tomb. He rose again. And that's how we know who he is and what he did. So maybe you're asking, and I hope you are, okay, but why? Why did Jesus have to become man? Why did he have to die on the cross? Man, those are a good question. Church, we have a problem, sin. And like I mentioned in the beginning, with that problem that you and I have, we are spiritually dead. And because of that problem, the wrath of God, the punishment for our sin is upon us. And so Jesus, God himself, had to step out of heaven to be that perfect sacrifice. Jesus, God himself, had to get on the cross. Why? I love the way Steve Lawson puts it, and this is why. Because only God can save you and I from God's wrath. It's only God that could accomplish what we could never accomplish. That's why. But here, here's the condition, church. Unless, unless you trust in what he did, unless you believe in Christ alone and nothing else, you have a problem. See, if you're walking around thinking, I, I know the gospel. I know that this is what Jesus did on the cross for me. But you haven't received it. The wrath of God is upon you still. We need to come to that point and understand in our heart the true gospel. There are so many churches, not only in our community, throughout the world that are teaching something else. They're teaching Christ plus something else. Christ didn't do 
what he said he was going to do, it wasn't sufficient. And Paul warns us about that. And that's why he writes in Galatians 2.21, Paul says this, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If you believe that you have to add anything else, anything else to Christ plus nothing to equal your salvation, if you believe that, then what you're saying in your heart is that Jesus, you weren't enough. You sweating, you bleeding, you being humiliated, you being separated from the Father wasn't enough. Then when you said it is done, you lied. That's what we're saying. There's an urgency, church. There's an urgency that we need to proclaim the truth of Christ plus nothing equals salvation. There's friends that you know, there's family that you know, there's neighbors, there's co-workers. What if this year, what if 2022 was different in the fact that you, maybe you, starting with you, were more concerned where you would live for eternity than where you live now? What would it look like if you were more concerned where your neighbor, your co-worker, your family live for eternity than where they live now? What would it look like if you were more concerned where you stood in the eyes of God more than where you stood in the eyes of man? What would it look like if you were more concerned with your friends, your neighbor, your loved ones, where they stood in the eyes of God rather than they stood in the eyes of man? Church, more important, more important than your financial state, more important than your social state is your spiritual state. We need to keep on proclaiming the truth. We need to keep on teaching the truth. We need to keep on inviting people to know the truth. That is Christ alone plus nothing for salvation. I love this church so much. So many things I love about my Grace family. But one of the things that really just impresses me is that that I see a sense of urgency in you. That you want to be who God has called you to be. And that you keep on inviting others to hear the truth. Not the pastors. His authority. Let's not stop. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you have left us your word. But this word means nothing if we don't act it out. They're just words. But your word are alive. Your word is alive. Your word is life. Let's be a church that continues in 2022 having a sense of our urgency to teach the truth, to live the truth, to just glorify you and just enjoy you for eternity, Father. To share to others the need to let others know that we all have a problem, but there's a solution. And the solution is your son, Jesus Christ, our salvation. Father, we love you. We praise you. And we say all these things in your son's name. Amen. I love you, church. Have a good week.